Good morning. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here at Grace Church. And uh, if you live closer to Taunton than you do Avon, I do want you to think and pray about the possibility of maybe helping them out. Uh, and I'm not asking you to leave. I'm not asking. I don't know, maybe some of you. I don't know, maybe. Um, but I, don't ever leave a church because you're mad uh, because you need to get that taken care of, right? But if you're leaving a church to go help another baby church get going, that's the best reason. That's the right reason to leave. So, and if you know anybody that lives in the Taunton area, uh, connect them uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, Christ Community Church. That, that'd be great. Um, I have, uh, I, I've, I've gained uh, COVID weight. I just thought I'd start that way and we'll see if I can get to Jesus from that. Um, anybody else gain any weight during COVID at all? Anybody honest? Oh, five of us. Okay. Liars, every one of you. Because I see you. You forget that I can see you. Right? So I, I got, I, I gained my own COVID-19 is what I did. Not quite 19. It was more like 21. But uh, not bad. So I, I got an app on my phone that promised to help me lose weight, and it lied. So I got another app. I really did. I got, a, I got another app. I got the Do Fasting, and it's, uh, it's about intermittent fasting. Then uh, that's supposed to make me lose weight. Basically, you skip breakfast, and you don't, do, you don't munch after, after, no munchies after 7 uh, p.m. is the way that that worked. Well, uh, that didn't keep me from eating at all. So I, I switched over to one where you count your calories, and you got to put it in there, and then it tells you, uh, based on your age, your height, your weight, how many calories you need to eat or stay below in order to lose weight. Uh, There's too much homework. So that, that app stunk because I had to like, write down every time I would eat something how many calories were in it, and I had to look it up on my phone. It was a lot of work. So I was like, I'm not, that's a stupid app. And so then I got another one called Better Men. So that's the one I got, Better Men, because who doesn't want to be a better man, Right? So I got one, and that's, that's lots of exercises, and that's a lot of work too. So all those apps stink. So they don't work is the point I wanted to share with you. Like I, so I, I right now have three, three weight loss apps all on my phone. Now, they're on the same page too, so I can like pick which one I'm going to not do today. So, and I give them all that kind of crap. I, I, I not do them all is, is what I do. I, I, I don't like doing hard things. I, I don't, and obviously the problem isn't the app, it's, it's me. Because I have a hard time doing things I don't like doing. Does anybody else have a hard time doing things they don't like doing? All right. Some of you guys are like super disciplined, and I hate you. Um, not really. I, I envy that. I wish I was like that. But I, I think the way that this works is uh, like even if you're like super disciplined and like you're, you're that person, that you're in bed by 9.30 and you're waking up at 5 a.m. and, you know, you're juicing carrots and drinking, you know, rabbit juice, uh, that's fine. And then you're working out and all, you know, then you've read the paper and read your Bible and like every, like you're all prayed up by, by 7 a.m., right? Like you're awesome. It's great. You're great. Um, we all wish we were you. But there's still stuff that make you uncomfortable. And so I think the farther you move outside of your comfort zone, the harder it is to stick with something. So there's probably something else that's outside your comfort zone, and that's probably a difficult thing for you. And you, you may have tried doing those things just to stretch yourself possibly. Maybe you don't like reading, right? So it's not that you can't read or that you're ignorant. You just like audible is your thing, or maybe you're just asking questions or you have mentors. But the idea of just sitting down for hours on end, turning pages or swiping left, not that app, but on like a Kindle, whatever, right? Like that's, that, that sucks the life out of you and you have no interest in that. Like I'm just saying, everybody has something that's outside their comfort zone that's hard, hard, hard to stick with. Um, and and, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to bet that all of you have made some type of a, uh, like a resolution at some point that then you, re, you redid the next year 
because you didn't make it very far. Uh, how many of us have ever done that? You've only half. Again, the other half of you aren't going to get anything out of the teaching today because you got all your crap together. Um, but it's, 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 it's difficult um, to stick with stuff that's hard to do even when you know uh, it's, it's the right thing to do. And that is what we're going to be talking about in, in today's uh, teaching. We've already established uh, the idea from the scriptures that each one of us are born with a predisposition toward a particular sin. Uh, Paul calls it the sin that so easily besets us, right? That's how it says it in the King James. And so it's referred to uh, in, in church world as the besetting sin or as the sin that so easily kicks your butt. And for some of you, it, it might be your predisposition towards alcohol. Like, honestly, that kicked your butt for a long time. And so now you've had to take a teetotaler stance because you can't even take a sip without running all the way to the extreme. Like, that's right. And then others of us have that problem with anger or with greed or with lust or uh, bitterness. Like, like, we can't even get a taste of it because we just, then we just lose our minds and we run all the way into it. And, and others of us will look at somebody else's struggle and like, I don't know why they struggle with that. That's not a problem for me at all. But then they would look at the thing that you struggle with and they would say the exact same thing. That's what we're talking about. Like you have a cycle of sin uh, that you keep falling into. And it doesn't matter if you're born this way or if you're developed this way, right? Like uh, you could be born with a predisposition towards addiction, but that doesn't give you a right to be an, an addict, like you're still responsible for your decisions. You can be born with a predisposition towards anger, but that doesn't mean it's okay for you to keep screaming at everybody. Like you're still responsible for your, for your, your actions, your behavior. I might be born with a predisposition towards multiple sexual partners, but that doesn't mean it's okay for me to cheat on my wife, right? So it doesn't matter if you're born with a sexual sin, if you're born with a, 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 an emotional uh, sin, or like a, like a physical sin, like there's like what, whatever, like so if you're born this way or developed this way, it doesn't matter because it's still a problem, right? So if I have an anger problem because my dad had one and I learned it from him or because I inherited it from him, does it matter? No, because I still have this problem. And this is the thing that needs to be broken. And the cool thing is that throughout the entire Bible, there's story after story after story after story after story of God rescuing people from really bad addictions to sin. Um, even the heroes of the faith, and for the sake of time, I, I'm not going to, I wanted to give you some examples, but they're not in my notes, and last night I went a little bit long, I got to cut out five minutes, so I can't do that, but the people that God uses, look in the New Testament, and the Old Testament, like Moses was a murderer, you guys know that, right? King David was a murderer, you guys, and an adulterer, he murdered his best friend because he had relations with his best friend's wife, and got her pregnant, and to cover it up, he killed him, that's King David, Right? Like the whole Bible is, you guys are like, I don't think I like him now. Right? <laughs> like, homeboy was shady, but it was the way that he responded when his sin was pointed out that got him to the point where God said, That's a man after my own heart. Isn't that crazy? That's what the Bible says that David was a man after my own heart. He was a man who was broken and severely flawed, uh, but his response to his cycles of brokenness is what God said, that's the heart I'm looking for, right? So God rescues us from our sin. And the, way, the reason why he's able to do this is because Jesus pays, pays the pr price for our sins. So like when we sin against others, we rack up debt, but ultimately all of our sins are against God. And that's a debt that's difficult for us to pay off. And, and truthfully, you, you never can which is the reason why we need Jesus, because he's the one that pays off our debt on our behalf. And so having that slate clean now gives us the opportunity to come into a relationship with God. The, the language that the Bible uses that we receive, do you guys hear that? 
The, the kids, the, the, the illustration for the kids today is dynamite. So they're, it's controlled. It's under a trash can. So um, anyway, I was like, what, what the heck is happening over there? Um, uh, but, but, he get, but we get adopted into God's family and we get a new identity. That's what we had said in week two. We get a new identity. Uh, some of us uh, have been adopted. And you get a whole new family with a whole new set of values. And there's a process of learning to live out this new identity. And it gets, and it gets messy. Uh, but it doesn't change who you are. That also explains why some of you guys have expressed how on the inside you feel conflicted about things that didn't used to bother you. Right? Uh, and the reason why is because God's Holy Spirit really is at work in your heart conforming you into the image of Jesus. And it's not because somebody said you shouldn't do that. Like somehow you did something and you're like, that doesn't feel right anymore. And like I said, it's not because somebody else told you it wasn't right. You just, and the reason why is because the old behaviors don't fit your new identity. But for you to stick with that, it's going to take, and we, we looked at this last week, a radical commitment to obedience. Um, and that's like, it's, it's a, like, I will do the right thing. And doing the right thing almost always comes at a cost. And so you've got to be willing to pay a price that other people aren't willing to pay. But if you do, like if you do what most people won't do, you'll get what most people don't get, which is, which is awesome, right? Like when I you know, regardless of what my urges are telling me to do, when I choose to say no to myself in order to do things the right way, God, I, I put myself in a position to receive what God has intended for me. So that's how you, you stay married for 31 years. And you still like her after 31 years. I didn't say she likes me. I said I like her after 31 years. Actually, actually it's, it's like, no, I'm just, we, we talked about this yesterday morning. Like, I, I still can't believe that I, I married Billy Jane Richardson. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember seeing her at college thinking I, she'd never doesn't matter. My point is, God, yeah, sorry, that got, I don't even think she's in the, is she, is she in this? Oh, she is in this service. Oh, I do love you. And I'm married way out of my league. Everybody knows that. Like, how does she put up, dude, bro, you are freaking manic. How does she? <laughs> Nobody knows who we're clapping at. You just know she's on this side of the room somewhere. And she doesn't want me to point her out. Because she's incredibly shy. But it seems that no matter how committed you are to doing the right thing, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what other people aren't willing to do, and I'm going to pay the price other people aren't willing to pay, and I'm going to get the results that other people don't, aren't, aren't going to get because I'm, I'm choosing God's path, man, and I want what God has for me more than what I want for me because I, I trust that his plan is better. What, what, what happens is I'll go two, three, four months doing the right thing. And then what surprises me is that my old sin will, like, I don't, it just like sneaks in. And it just, it, it just, like, crap, where did that come from? Right? And then you, you fall back into your old sin again, and you were doing so good. And then you can get really discouraged and like, this isn't working again. Right? And then sometimes you just kind of stay in your sin for a while. Am I the only one who's ever done that? Um, you guys are like, yes, you are. And thank you for sharing with us. We're switching. We're going to cross this church right now. Right now. Um, so what do, we, what, do we, what do we do then? And we're going to look at the life of Peter this morning. And what we're going to see, and, and primarily, I, I actually I think this will work for everybody, whether you're a Christian or not. 
And, and there, are, there are people who are at Grace Church who you're not sure where you stand in your relationship with God. And I'm really glad that you're here. I think this is the best place for you. I really do. Because we're not, we're not intimidated by, by tough questions. We might not have all the answers, right? And so I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I, we're pretty confident that God is self-aware and confident in his own identity. And he's not going to freak out because you're not sure if you believe in him or not, right? And if he can love you no matter what, you're involved in or what you think about him, then we can love you no matter what you're involved in and what you think about him too, right? Uh, but for those of us who have made a decision on where we stand in our relationship with God, um, there's, a, there's something that God put in place that you can take advantage of that automatically brings you back to a good place once you start slipping. Um, and what you're going to see in the life of Peter is that every, every Christian, every follower of Jesus who's committed uh, to the ways of Jesus can stay in a spiritually healthy place if they have a friend who will do three things for them. One is that this friend needs to remind, that, remind you who you are when you forget who you are. They need to speak this to you. And two, they need to be willing to have a difficult conversation with you. The conversation that you would be upset if anybody else had with you. Like you have to have that. And three, you have to you have to know, you have to know for a fact that this person loves you no matter what, un unconditionally. And if you if you have a friend who's following Jesus, who will be this kind of friend for you? It's a built-in safety feature. It's like a governor on a on a on a on a truck, right? Where it won't like you can't get too far. And that's what I want want you to see in the life of Peter. Uh, so first, we need someone to remind us who we are. Um, Jesus gives Peter a new identity, and, and you see this in John chapter 1, uh, verse 40 and four, to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John, this is John the Baptist, had said, and then started following Jesus. So in John chapter 1, we find out that actually Peter wasn't the first one in his family to become a follower of Jesus. It was his brother. Uh, Andrew. By the way, poor Andrew. Every time he's mentioned in the whole Bible, it says Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Wouldn't that stink? That poor guy. Some of you guys are like a middle child, and it just stinks because everybody's like, oh, you are, and then they name your older brother or your sister and in and, and reference to you. And you're like, and maybe you went to a, or maybe you are in a season right now in middle school or high school where you hate your older brother and he did nothing wrong to you. You just hate being compared to him. Like that's that. I wonder if that had anything to do with Andrew and Simon's relationship. But his, his name is Simon is what his name is. Andrew went to his brother Simon and told him, uh, I think we found the Messiah, which is uh, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. Uh, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter, from now on. That's, that's an odd flex. I don't recommend you walking up to people and renaming them, right? I think like, <laughs> oh, your name's Mike? I will call you Joey. <laughs> no, my name's Mike, right? That's, I mean, but he, he's God in the flesh. So like, if you're like, wow, I just saw what you did. You want to call me Peter, call, call me Peter. Just, sorry, about to set an old dad joke. Just don't call me late for dinner, right? Like that's, sorry, I had to get that out. That was going to stay in my head for a long time. But Peter had a hard time living out his new identity uh, for the rest of his life. He, he's the disciple who seemed to um, just mess up the most. Like if there was one disciple who kept going back to their old patterns, to their old cycle, uh, more than any of the other disciples, it's, it's Peter. 
So after, like he'd already been a follower of Jesus for, for two and a half years. So it's not like he's new to this. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 that we're going to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be betrayed by our leaders and handed over to the Romans and I'm going to be killed, but, but I'm going to raise from the dead on the third day. And, and Peter rebukes him and gets onto him for that is, is, is what he does. And, and it's not that he's trying to spare Jesus's life. That's not what this was about because Jesus just said, I'm going to come back from the dead. I'll raise from the dead on the third day. It's, it's the idea that Peter wanted what everybody else wanted, and that was relief from Rome. And that's what they were expecting the Messiah to do. Because the Hebrew Scriptures said that he would be in the line of his throne of his father, David. And David was famous for his like butt-kicking ways. So if the Messiah is going to show up in the, you know, in the style of David, then that's what they were, they were wanting, uh, is for you to kill my enemies. So let's just add, add more conflict to conflict. That's what we want. And then you know, that amps up the conflict. And Jesus knew that the best way to beat evil like the, real, the way that you get rid of it is not by doubling it and becoming the evil you're oppressed by, right? It's, it's, it's honestly, it's grace, it's mercy, it's love. It, you're taking the venom out of it. You turn the enemies into friends when you do this. Like that's, that's how you get rid of evil. But that's not what Peter wanted. So he says, well, then let's not go do this. Not because he cared about Jesus, because he, but because he was selfish. Because Peter wanted what Peter wanted. Right? It doesn't matter what you want because that's not what I want. So Peter, two and a half years, is slipping in front of everybody. In Matthew chapter 17, Peter awkwardly suggests building three altars in honor of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. It's one of my favorite, most awkward moments in the entire Bible. God allows Peter, James, and John to see Jesus in his full God glory, uninhibited or restricted by his manness, his humanness, right? And, and Peter's blown away by this. And, and Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Moses and Elijah join Jesus. And the Father, you, you, all, it's crazy. Like I, the Bible doesn't really describe the physical like, appearance of this at all. Probably because they're like, we don't even know how to explain what we saw. But it was, it's called the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's, it's on a hill outside of a couple of miles away from Nazareth. So it, it's a really big hill in the middle of the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, and it was walking distance from the town that Jesus grew up in. And uh, Peter, James, and John see this, and like there's a silent moment in the conversation, and, and Peter feels like he has to fill it. So Peter interrupts God the Father, God the Son, Moses, and Elijah's conversation, and he goes, I got a great idea. Why don't we build an altar here to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? And no lie, God ignores them and keeps on going with his conversation. It's like that anyway moment. You ever been in a party and th you thought you had something cool to add? And then so like somebody's telling a story and you're like, yeah, that, blah, 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 blah. And people are like, uh-huh. And then they go right back to that person. And you feel like an idiot. That is exactly what happened. Like Peter ruins the Mount of Transfiguration beautifully. It's an awesome story. Uh, John chapter 18, Peter, the fisherman, draws a sword. What the heck is he doing packing heat? He, he's not a soldier. You know what I mean? You know he didn't have a carry license, and he pulls out that sword, tries to chop off the head of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And Jesus is like, what? What are you doing? Right? This is Peter. Uh, Matthew 26, Peter bragged that he'd never, he'd never abandoned Jesus. Jesus says, uh, uh, some, one of you guys are going to betray me tonight. And Peter says, it's not going to be me. I didn't say it was going to be you, moron. Right? Like, that's, like that's, that's that guy. Not me. And Jesus goes, dude, it'll be you tonight, three times before the rooster crows. He goes, though I die, I'll never do that. And then an hour later, he's doing it, 
right? Like this, this is that guy. First John chapter three, uh, verse one. Through, and here's the thing. Jesus knew that Peter was going to do all of this. And he still calls on Peter. Peter, 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 Peter. Why? Because like, you're not, I don't want you to, you keep, you keep thinking you're Simon. And you're forgetting who you are. And, and I think that's part of our problem. We start to become identified by our brokenness. Like you call yourself an alcoholic. Right? You call yourself a slob. Like you name yourself your depression, your anxiety. Like we start, we start to identify with our brokenness and give it power again. That's what we do. And John talks about this. First John chapter 3, he says, see how very much our Father loves us because he calls us his children. And that's what you are. Like why does he have to say this? Because he knew that people would forget this. He said, you need to remember, you're not a spiritual orphan. You're, 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 not, you're not the sins of your past. Even if they're showing up in your present, you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, then you are. And you've never stopped, right? Like you, you might be a good kid or a bad kid, but the fact are, you are his kid. Like act like it. Like get your butt back in the house again. And I think some of us punish ourselves when we fall into sin and we feel like we can't. I'm just talking about me now. You, you feel so bad about what you've done that you almost feel like you need to punish yourself more. Or like something bad needs to happen to you to justify you being able to get right with God again. And you're his kid, man. You're, you're not an enemy of God any longer. You're his, you're his, you're his kid. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 9. He says, the more you grow, and he's talking about spiritually growing, the more you grow spiritually, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are those who keep falling, those who three months later fall back into their old junk. Those people, you've become short-sighted and blind. Why? Because you forgot that your sins have been forgiven. You forgot who you were. That was, that was the problem, is that you forgot right? And you, you need somebody like Jesus in the life of Peter who's going to remind you, bro, this isn't you. Stop it. Like, what the freak are you doing? Right? Like, you need somebody to remind you who you are. Um, the second thing, by the way, and I do have my wife's permission to sh share this. Like, I, when I think about the one thing that keeps coming up in my life over and over and over and over and over again, it goes back to a trauma uh, in my early, early childhood uh, with, with death. Uh, there was a suicide in our house. It was in my bedroom. Um, it's, it de it de it's, it's defined my family experience. So by God's grace, I had godly parents uh, who've constantly working for the way that this could be used by Satan to affect me negatively. Uh, counseling, I, I'm, I remember in third grade, uh, truth or dare, it was a truth. I said as a nine-year-old that I'd do it too. And Wesley, that was his name, went and told on me to Mrs. Derrick, and, which is the right thing to do. And then Mrs. Derrick told my parents, and that started me counseling. And all I remember about counseling is I got to color pictures every time. And that was awesome. And I got, and I got candy. So counseling for kids is great. That's what I wanted to say. Um, but for me, like the thing that keeps coming back up is, is fear. Like I can have irrational fear that people I love are going to die. Like it's irrational. 
Like it can, it can cause me to make dumb decisions, right? But I'm, I'm, I need somebody to tell me, you are Sean, child of God. You're not your fear. My wife have, has had a obsessive compulsive disorder uh, for most of her life. Uh, she had to wear certain things on certain days. If she tapped herself three times on this leg, she'd have to tap herself three times on this leg. You guys are like, bro, you and your wife both need counseling. We know. Okay, I'm sorry you have a broken preacher, right? You have a broken preacher. He's following Jesus, though. I promise you that. He's following Jesus. Um, awkwardly at times and sometimes badly, but I get my, myself back up off my butt. But my wife is not her OCD. She's a child of God. She needs to be reminded of that. And so when I can, I can see her, like, like the anxiety in her heart, and I, I can, like yesterday, I don't have permission to share this. And I want to stay married to her, so we're going to move on. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but yesterday, you just, you just need somebody to get in your face and say you're going to be okay. God has you, right? You have to have somebody that does that because sometimes you forget that he does. You have to have that. I need that. You need that. Or we go to really dark places. Okay. Hope that was all right. I didn't share any details. All right. But you need someone to have a hard conversation. I'm going to go back to when Peter rebukes Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. This is going to happen. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. <laughs> Peter, if there's one guy who doesn't, who like everybody's like, Peter, really? Like you're the one who thought you should reprimand Jesus, right? You reprimands Jesus. Heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You need a friend to call you the devil. That's what you know. Why did Jesus do this? And, and here's why. There's only one other time in the whole, but this isn't the first time Jesus was told he shouldn't go to Jerusalem and, and sacrifice his life for the sins of mankind. Because the first time this happened was in a desert two and a half years ago, three years ago. Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan comes and tells him, you don't actually have to do this. If you bow down to me now, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and we'll just shortchange this and you can save yourself from all of this agony. That's, he'd heard it before. So he knows where this comes from and that's what Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to the source of this temptation because that was a temptation for Jesus. He knew what was coming and that's why the night before it all happened, he said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, yours be done is what Jesus said. And for the joy that was set before him on the other side, he was able to endure the shame of the cross. Philippi, I think it's Philippians that says it, Philippians chapter two, uh, it says that. Um, but he said, you are dangerous trapped to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And that's when he goes on to say to the other disciples, then he says to the rest of them, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So what Jesus does is the moment he sees that Peter's heart is in the wrong place, he addresses it right away. He doesn't let it sit. And you need a friend who's going to pick up the phone who's going to say, hey, bro, we need to have breakfast. And when they see you slipping, they're not going to let it sit, right? Like they're going to be willing to hurt your friend, your feelings. Like you need a friend who loves you more than they need you to like them. Do you know what I mean? 
You need, you need a friend that has permission to call you a moron when you're being a moron. Otherwise, we slip into our moron role for a little bit too long. I, I have this by God's grace. Um, and I'd, I'd recommend this not be your spouse. Just for both y'all's sake. But you need somebody who has permission to step into your life. I, I, I did not have this in middle school, but I did have it in high school. So if you're a high schooler, I think you do need a friend uh, that, that'll help you. You need a friend, one who's a follower of Jesus running the same direction that you're running because they're the ones who are going to know when you're acting out of character. They're also going to be the ones who are willing to risk the relationship to save your soul, right? You, you need somebody like that. When I got into high school, I think that that was probably Danny O'Dell and Mike Lindvig uh, to a lesser degree. Then when I got into college, uh, it was my first roommate, Danny Crawford. And uh, Danny, I say first roommate because we were morons together and the dean made a rule that we could never be roommates again. That's true. <laughs> there was a rule that we could never be roommates again. And uh, we actually talked to each other uh, yesterday. And whenever we talk, Danny will ask me about the cycles of brokenness in my heart that I don't share as an illustration in a sermon because he knows everything about me because I trust him, right? I know he's a follower of Jesus and he calls me on things that I don't want anybody else calling me on, but I need somebody else calling me on because I'd, I'm drawn away into sin because I crave the taste of it and then it always makes me sick after I eat it. And I wish I hadn't. Does anybody else resonate with this at all? You, you need a friend who knows that. You, and you don't want to tell anybody, so you keep it hidden. And as long as it's hidden, it still owns you. Like you can't keep it hidden. Like, you need to bring junk into the light. That's where it loses its authority. That's where it loses its power but you need that. Solomon spoke about having a friend like this in Proverbs 27, verse 6. He said, wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. You need a friend who's willing to hurt your feelings. That's what, that's all of us. All of us need that. Uh, it's what Peter had. And that we need somebody to love us unconditionally. Um, remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, Peter had said, though everybody deny you, I never will. And Jesus said, dude, you, you will. It, well, it started off by Jesus saying, somebody here is going to, be, going to betray me. Now, we all know that that's Judas. So when Jesus said, somebody here is going to betray me, they all said, and this is in the Bible, <laughs> read it. The, all the disciples were like, which one is it? Which one? Like, who is it? Who is it? Like, and then there was like a big, dis then like Jesus lost control of the room while everybody's like, is it, who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And uh, Jesus goes, it's the person to whom I give this bread after I have dipped it in the cup. And then Jesus takes the bread, dips it in the cup, eats it, and hands the bread and cup to Judas. Judas takes it, dips it, eats it, pass it on, and they go, so which one is it? <laughs> so again, they weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? Like, that's, that's all, that's, that actually really happened. Jesus said, it's the person that I give this to. He gives it to Judas, and then Judas passes it around, and then they're like, so which one? Because in their head, we all ate from the bread and the juice, but he said, it's the one I'm actually giving it to. And then later on, he looks right at Judas and he says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Or in other words, let's get this night over with, right? And so Judas gets up and he leaves the Last Supper. Like Judas didn't finish. 
He left early. And the Bible actually says that the other disciples thought that he had to go give money to poor people because they had chosen him to be the treasurer of the group because he was the most trustworthy. So they also were not very good judges of character. I want to throw that out there, right? But they didn't know that it was Judas. And then that night, uh, and I've been there to Caiaphas' house where Jesus was arrested and taken to, and in his basement, he's got a stone uh, pillar as a support, uh, like, a, like an LVL, except it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's stone, and it's got holes in there, and it's worn because for long, whoever lived in that house, they would, they would take prisoners and they would tie their hands above their, their waist or above their head so that they could work his body. And there's a, a, a slit window, it's just an opening about this, this high and this wide right in front of that person that goes into the little courtyard where there would have been a fireplace or a fire pit and, and then his personal security. So Peter got into that area and that night he was, he was questioned by three different people during the torture of Jesus. Aren't, aren't you with him? And he said no every time. And the last time he swore just to throw him off the scent and uh, said, I've never met the man. It says, right after that, two things happened. The rooster crowed for the second time, and then Peter looked into the window, and Jesus was looking at him. They, they locked eyes. Like, that, that's in the Bible. Like, that moment, oh, my gosh. Like, it, it destroyed Peter. The Bible says the, the phrasing is that he broke down and wept. Like, this isn't, it's not that he cried. He sobbed. Because in his mind, he was the one Jesus was talking about. He thought he was the betrayer. And that's what Jesus meant. Right? So he thinks he's out. I'm out. There's no way in the world he'd let me in now. Like, I, I have gone too far. This is too much. This is the unforgivable sin. What I just did. So two days later, the women come back to finish the job of wrapping the body for burial because it wasn't just a Sabbath that Jesus, that Jesus was uh, crucified on Friday, but that sundown that night isn't just a regular Sabbath. It's the Passover Sabbath, so that's the big one. Everybody's got to get back and prepare for their families, but Jesus is executed at 9, and he dies at noon. Then they get permission from Pilate to take the body down, but there's not enough time to do everything that they need to do according to Jewish custom to get the body ready. So they get it started, and then they're going to come back on Sunday just, it's on the third day, so he died on Friday, was dead on Saturday, and part, part of Sunday. So it says on the third day is, is when he rose from the dead, which is before he'd begin to stink, which is important because Psalm chapter 10 says that the Holy One of Israel would die, but would not, would not be left to rot. Is what, so even a thousand years earlier, the Bible said that the Messiah would die, but that he wouldn't decay, which that didn't make any sense unless he raises from the dead. So they had all forgotten about that verse so or didn't make the connection. So on Sunday morning, the two women come back to finish the job. And he's not there because he resurrected from the dead. And, uh, and the angels had been instructed by God what to say to the ladies. And they say he's not here because he has risen. And then look what they say in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. They say, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead to you to, to Galilee and you guys should meet him there. Why do they add that? Go tell the disciples, including Peter. Why? He thought he was out. 
And God wanted him to know, dude, I, I, don't, I don't care how many times you screw up or how bad it is. Bro, come home. Come back. That's it. Like you can't go, you need somebody. God forbid you lose your mind. Ruin your marriage. I don't, quit talking to your parents. I don't walk away from God, become an atheist. I don't I, whatever. You need somebody that loves you so much, they're never going to stop praying for you. They're never going to stop talking to you. And they're never going to stop pursuing you. I was sharing this last night. And I, it's not in my notes, but I mentioned some of you guys have a family member who's an addict and you've given up on them. Don't. God didn't give up on you, right? And then while I was saying that, God brought up that I've, 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 uh, I've cut my brother off. He's toxic and um, has done things to our family and said things to my mom. And God's like, it's easy to tell everybody else to do it, isn't it? So I called him last night and he sent me straight to voicemail, which was a huge relief. I just want to put that out there. It was a huge relief. Isn't that horrible? I left a voicemail. I didn't say, you're toxic. Bye. But it was like, hey, dude, I haven't talked to you in a long time. By the way, this service cannot go online. Because uh, I called him last night, so he may go online and listen to the sermon. Um, or else I just, I got to pick one of the other two services not to bring this up in. And that'll be the one that goes online. Um, anyway, uh, this is, this is my, my takeaway is my brother needs somebody who's going to love him enough to not give up. I don't want to be that guy, though. Because I know what it'll take. And I'm wondering how much it's taken for God to forgive me a thousand times when I've asked him to forgive me a thousand times, and I did it anyway, right? So truthfully, this is what it means, like, what God's done, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart, He's given me the want to that goes against my want to. Right? That's how I know it's from God. So in, in spite of His consistent flops, Jesus loves him anyway. And then there's a story. We don't have time to read it. So Jesus said, I'll meet you in Galilee. And when Jesus goes to Galilee, Peter and the other disciples are fishing. That's what He knows to do. And Jesus comes onto the shore, but and they can see there's a person, but there's no facial features. It's like you're on one side of the football field and you can see people on the other side of the football field, but you can't recognize them until you get closer. And it's early in the morning because they fish overnight. And it's early in the morning. Water's really calm early in the morning and your voice carries over the water. So Jesus yells out, do you guys catch anything? And Peter yells back, no. And then Jesus goes, try the other side. Because he'd already done that miracle. And if you're not familiar with it, Google fishing on the other side of the boat in the Bible, and you'll come up with two stories. The first one is when Peter is introduced to Jesus, Jesus changes his name, but it was actually another time after that where Peter is fishing on the shore, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. 
It's after that. Uh, and then at the end, and that's when he tells him to throw the fish on the net on the other side of the boat, and it comes in full of fishes. So the guy on the shore goes, try the other side. And so they, they're like, that sounds familiar. They throw their net on the other side, and it's full of fish again. They almost sink. Peter's like, I know who that is. And Peter throws off his jacket, dives under the water, and swims to the shore. When they get there, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus had been making breakfast for the guys. Where did he get his fish? That's what I want to know. Uh, but he'd been making breakfast for the guys. And after breakfast, Jesus pulls him aside, and he goes, and he calls him, he goes, Simon. Hadn't called him Simon in three years. He goes, Simon, do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Listen, you're going to, even if you see yourself through that lens, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm still going to call you, you back. And, once, and you've heard this before. Once for every time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus undid it. And you need somebody who's going to be willing to do that for you also. Peter gets to the end of his life, by the way, and he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, and he's talking to all of the churches that have been started, and he's in his old age. So this is like, I have some counsel, some wisdom I'd like to share with all the churches. So copy this and spread it around so everybody gets a copy of it. And he, he wrote two letters like that to all the churches in existence before he died. This is the first letter that he wrote. And at the end of the letter, he says this in verse 4. After sharing with them wisdom, he says, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Why would Peter say that? Most important, keep showing love because love covers sin. You know why he said that? Because he'd experienced it. And he knew the only thing that brings broken people back when they don't want to come back is grace they know they don't deserve. That's what breaks hard hearts. And when your heart goes hard, you need somebody who's going to fly across the country just to have breakfast with you. Who's going to talk you out of the ruin in your life. You know what I'm saying? And the truth is, you need to be like that for someone. You need a hand up and a hand down. Peter ends up doing this for John Mark. I don't have the time to go into the whole story, so I will. <laughs> but there, when you start slipping, God's going to send His Holy Spirit into your heart to call you back. But there are some times where you're not listening anymore, so He sends a person. My dad did this growing up with me and my brother. He'd walk outside and he could whistle. I don't want to do it now because it's in the microphone and it would mess everything up, right? But I can whistle really loud. So we'd be at the Coles Field in Stoughton, a soccer complex. Kids everywhere. I could whistle when it's time to go. My kids, no matter where they're at in that complex, are like, that's my dad. I got to go, right? So my dad did the same. I learned that from my dad. So I'd, my dad would go outside and he'd whistle. And I'd, I'd be two blocks away hanging out with Linus. That, that was my friend's name, riding bikes or whatever. And I'd, nobody else would hear it. It's like a dog whistle. I could hear it. My ears were tuned to it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the same way I think with the Holy Spirit in our heart. Our ears are tuned. Over time, our ears become attuned to it. And we, we can hear God speaking to us, like even softly. But then there are times when our hearts go hard and we don't hear his voice anymore. And it's like my dad. My dad just let his kid, like, wander. Like, if he whistled and we didn't come back, dad would say to the other brother, go find your brother and tell him it's time to come home. That's what God does. Like when you start slipping, he's going to whistle. But when you ain't listening to the whistle, 
you need a brother who's listening to him, who might be right now closer to him, that will hear the father say to him, go get your brother. Dang it. I have to call him again. Jeez. Okay, I- I'm done with this sermon. Let's, let's close this thing up in prayer. But Simon Sinek, he's, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last, and it's not a Christian book. It's a leadership book. But he says, on the other side of every transformation story, uh, let me read it. This is the last one. Ask anyone who's made it through any sort of setback, depression, loneliness, failure, getting fired, a death in the family, the loss of a relationship, addiction, legal conflict, victimization of crime, anything, how they made it through. In nearly 100% of the cases, they will say something to the effect, I never would have if it hadn't been for... And they name somebody. Whose name do you write on that blank? And do they know their name is on that blank? Who would write your name in that blank? Because truthfully, none of us permanently break cycles by ourselves. You're not an island, dude. This doesn't work by yourself. You got to have somebody. That person might be in this room. Maybe they're not. If you're new to faith, You're in the best place I can think of. You're in a room full of people that will admit they need work. Where else are you around this number of people that that will admit that? At work, nobody admits they have any faults. Am I right? Yes or no? At your school, your group of friends, it's always everybody else's fault. This is the only place that you'll ever be where everybody's willing to admit they need work. This is also the only place where everybody in the room actually is willing to do something for somebody else. I'm not saying there aren't anybody else that's willing to do that, but you'll not be in any other environment where everybody in the room is willing to do that. You know what I mean? Like, this is a healthy place for you. And if you don't have a close Christian friend that you trust and respect, you might find them here, but not if your only experience here is listening to me talk for 43 minutes. You need to get involved. You need to take a step out of the crowd so that you can put yourself in a position to actually connect with other people that God has placed here for you to be a blessing to and to be a blessing to you. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for Danny. I'm thankful for Michael, and I'm thankful for Paco. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm, I'm, thankful, for, I'm thankful for Ken, just the people that, will love me no matter how bad I screw up, will speak truth into my life. They'll have hard conversations. They pray for me. They love me. God, help me to be a better version of that for other people. God, there's people in this room that don't have that, and they're discouraged right now hearing me talk about it. But the hope that we have is that because of you and what you said, you intend this for everybody in the room. Like that just friend that follows Jesus is out there. Maybe they're in here even. Help us to connect over the course of time. God, it'd be awesome if that happened by the end of this year. Give us just one really, really, really good Christian friend. Just one really, really good friend of faith who's like a solid person that we're cool with. God, everybody in this room needs this, but we also need to be this for someone else. We can't do this on our own. I pray for every teenager in here, God, who is the only Christian in their high school, who's the only follower of Jesus on the team, who's having a hard time doing the right thing when none of their other friends believe what they believe. 
God, I prayed that for my kids. When they were in that situation, I pray for those teenagers that are in this room right now that need a godly friend. I pray that they'd find it in the youth group or something, maybe a kid of one of the other parents in their parents' life group. I, I don't know, but God, I pray that. Every one of us need this and help us to also be this. This is our prayer. We ask in the name of Jesus and we all say it together, amen.